0: Hola a todos, bienvenidos nuevamente a Cultura Geek, yo soy Fernan y en este episodio de Lean Comics traemos un invitado súper especial y vamos a estar hablando de este cómic que tengo en mis manos así que está pendiente porque venimos con un invitado bien especial en Lean Comics All right Estamos entonces listos para empezar. Voy a cambiar de idioma porque mi invitado solamente habla en inglés. Así que I'm going to change to English now, and I'm going to introduce my guest tonight, which is Dan DiDio. How are you hey. doing, Dan?
1: Good, thank you. Thank, good, and ha- thanks for having me on. Thanks, thanks
0: for agreeing to do this. Um, I'm kind of, I have so many questions for you. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if we're going to have time to get to them all um
1: see. i'll see if i have any answers that's a good one <laughs>
0: <laughs> so like we we've talked before we 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 did uh, a couple of interviews back in the in new york comic con and uh san yeah. diego um right. so this is like the, the third time you've been you've been in my channel thank you for for that um i want to i want to start uh asking you with the the, the the first thing that's that is this it's yes. uh frank miller presents new company new new comic books coming our way um just let, Tell me what what is Frank Miller Presents all about? How did it came about, and, and what well, can we expect?
1: Yeah, I mean, the start of Frank Miller Presents was just um, after I'm leaving DC. You know, I, I I've been talking to a couple other people just about things that I'm interested in doing and all that. And and Frank and I had been talking about other projects. So as the story goes, um, Frank w- had had a book that he was planning to do with DC Comics, which he was talking about possibly doing a Dark Knight Four. And and he asked me if I wanted to edit it, which I I found very funny since I had just (laughs) left. Um, And I said, no, I'm not doing that. But if you have any other projects you're interested in, love to work with you. So we started talking more about Ronin, about it was never fully exploited. We never did anything past the original series. And I, I thought that was a shame. And then Frank basically said he had a story that was a sequel to that first Ronin series from the moment he finished the first Ronin series, wow. he said, "Now that's a thing I'd like to do." And he said, "I said, well, if you want to do that, I'll make you a deal. You do that away from DC. Um, I'll be more <laughs> than happy to work with you." So we started to talk more, and the conversation started talking about just our ideas of what we wanted to see out of comics, what we'd like comics to be, just the idea of the craft of comics and working with others, which we felt was an important part that was lost. And it morphed into this concept that ultimately became Frank Miller presents comic. So we took that one idea that was Ronin. I had a separate idea that was ancient enemies, which was an idea that I had back at DC, which almost was ultimate DC for a while, but it it became its own project. But we both, we both had an idea and ultimately together, we decided to bring the two together and then start to add more projects to us. and, and all of a sudden we got a company. Now all of a sudden we're publishing again. And, uh, it's different because you know it's a lot easier to publish comics when you have 160 people working with you. Right. Um, but, but when you're doing it all by yourself, um, it's a, it's a little daunting. Yeah. So it's it. But it's it's a it's been a great experience so far.
0: That's that's awesome. I I was actually gonna ask you about uh, Ronin because that, uh, that's that's one of the my favorite books um, from Frank Miller, and I, yeah. I've always wondered why. How come this book isn't more recognized, more like uh, Dark Knight Returns and other you know works by Frank Miller? Why do you think that is?
1: I, I think primarily because it got overshadowed by Dark Knight Returns. It, it came yeah. out first. It was the first real creator-owned book within any major company. It was it was groundbreaking on so many levels. Uh, it was it was a style that people hadn't seen before, uh, at mm-hmm. least in the United States. Yes. And I think, quite honestly, it took everybody by surprise. Um, and if you talk to talent, you talk to creators in the business, more of them gravitate to Ronin as an inspiration for them and why they wanted to get into comics, just the style and storytelling, uh, inspired so many people. But I think quite honestly, once Dark Knight came out, that's what Frank got known for. Yeah. Um, and ultimately it overshadowed anything else he was doing, um, in the creator own market, at least while he was at DC.
0: Right. And this book is inspired so much. Uh, like even the cover is like the the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cover is like a homage to this cover.
1: To oh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, if you look at Ninja Turtles, it, it's everything's inspired by Frank's work. Yes. Think, yeah. From, from Daredevil all the way through uh, to Ronin. But I mean, you know, again, it, it was one of those projects that was so visceral and so different that it. it for anybody who was an aspiring artist, it became a north star for them to follow yeah. if they wanted to become an artist.
0: How come? How come DC didn't publish uh, this sequel like 30 years ago?
1: <laughs> uh, it, 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 you know what? It's it comes down to time and availability. And quite honestly, if you're working with Frank Miller, they DC preferred him to work on their characters where they get a better return on. Then it's something that was sure. pretty low well for him. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that logic is is also. What was made it able for Frank to be able to get those rights back, so that he can publish this on his own and not through DC. And I, I think that that was good on their part to understand that they weren't going to go down this road with right. this character and do a sequel. Uh, and it was nice enough to let them say, if you want to do this, Frank, then you do it on your own independently. And I, I think that's a good thing. Awesome. So let,
0: let's talk about uh, a little bit about your book. Yeah. Ancient Enemies. Um, I, I read the. Of course, I have the. I have the Ashcan. Yeah, so I, I read it. I I, I gotta say I, I I'm I'm really digging it.
1: Oh, no, no, I like, to hear the, that.
0: The dual aspect of the warring uh, planets and all that.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it, it gets really interesting because that's really is a prequel. Um, I did that independent of the first issue. First okay. issue really starts on its own um, because it takes place on Earth twenty years after the event that ultimately was these ships crashing into Earth and starting a, this um, effect of people getting powers and other things happening. But the truth is, the, the, the main story is that there's two main protagonists, antagonists there. Um, and each one is a representative from the other world. And what happens is uh, there's a character called uh, the Genie and there's another one called the First Responder. Each one takes on the fight for the country because they're in, they, they've got some of the technology or DNA in them that ultimately makes them combatants. And here they are having this... Millennial war that they're acting upon that they have actually no connection to, other than mm-hmm. it's a feeling that's been inbred in them, and it's really an examination of of this inbred hate that people feel and how yeah. they have to get past that if they if they want to get on, or do they are they going to work themselves into destruction? Um, and in the process, there's a lot of other heroes and a lot of characters with powers that start to rise in the world, and ultimately you see people choosing sides about where they want to land in order to oh. basically. Bring this to a conclusion, but ultimately the more that it escalates, the worse it gets for everyone.
0: So you got to create this whole new world uh on your own, that like from your mind. How how cool is that?
1: <laughs> uh you know, it's you know, here's the thing. I've always been doing that. Even when you worked at, even when I worked at DC, right. we were inventing new characters. We were just using familiar names on them. So there's a lot yeah. of things that change. If you look at if you look at the, the the Jaime Reyes version of Blue Beetle, that's a completely new character. Yes, um, it's just he's called Blue Beetle, but he had very little to do with the original one. Um, and that that's some of the fun of what's going on. In this case, starting fresh, I have a brilliant partner in in Danilo Beirut, who's the artist on this and the designer of the book. Yeah. And, and his art style and sensibilities is really what's helped bring this all to life. Because quite honestly, there's an energy that's on a page that I felt has been lacking. In comics, and you know, we use references like John Buscema and and things like that, are the type of action and, and positioning that we want these characters to have. So you can feel these 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 things have a lot of power to them, Um you know. And when Frank and I started with with Frank Miller Presents, we we said one thing very important: we want to entertain, we want to have fun, we want to. It's what we enjoyed in comics, and hopefully, bringing it to a new market um, with all the sensibilities that we love. But with a with a voice and tone that fits in today's world and society, and mm-hmm. that's the that's the challenge of what we're doing. And hopefully, these books get a, get accepted, and the characters you know really take on a life of their own with the fan base.
0: Awesome. Uh, I, I was going to ask you about the the ash can. Cause Was it a conscious decision, or was it something about because it's an ash can and yeah. like maybe like to keep it the price low? But I love the paper. In, in, in this book i really do i love the smell i love how it looks it brings me to when i started reading comic books
1: in the late 80s and 90s it, it
0: yeah, makes me feel
1: I, classic that's that's all that was frank he wanted that really paper and i found it um and you're absolutely right when, when when we said we wanted we wanted people to reconnect with comics we feel that people have gotten away from what comics are about you know yeah. they're collecting covers not stories or characters they're worried about everything other than what the what the, what's inside the book exactly. and uh, it is an experience reading a comic that we wanted to, like I said, reconnect with. It is sight, smell, touch, all this yes. in, in that book itself. And and to be honest, we decided not to go with any digital print on that because, again, it was going back to the purest form of what we knew comics were and the com- ones that we remember the most. Um, and uh, that was the the logic behind that. Uh, but it was, it was it was a very conscious decision to go with that paper and style.
0: And it's been very successful so far, right? You're going to do a second printing?
1: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. We put out we put about 12,000 books into market um, that we gave free to the stores. And you know some of those books got priced up a little bit, but some Amen. of them landed in the hands of the fans too. <laughs> uh, then there was another 12,000 a Diamond that went within the first day. More stores bought those up. And now we're out there trying to put as many books as the people who want them. So if there's a person who felt that they missed out on an opportunity, you got this book but really want to have a copy, uh, the retailers can actually order them now. Um, and get enough copies for the people in their stores. And, uh, you know, I looked at this book more in line with the free comic book day comic, meaning that it's, you know, it's supposed to be given away or sold at a dollar, or whatever way it is, to get it in the hands of somebody who wants to read stuff and get familiar with books, uh, uh, especially about new projects. This is a new comic company, a new thing. Um, And I want to make sure that as many people who knew we were before our, our first books actually hit the stands.
0: And, and what's like um, what's the plan you, you have Ronin you have Pandora you have uh, ancient enemies are there more books on the way is, is there gonna be a sort of maybe like a shared universe in like a- um,
1: there's no shared universe but there, there's a little there's a there's a little nod to Ronin in ancient enemies I have to say oh. there is one. Uh, just because <laughs> if I'm working on all these books, I can't, I can't help myself doing that together. <laughs> um, so you might see the Aquarius Corporation popping up, popping up in places. Nice. Um, awesome. But uh, the, on the other side of the coin, though, we have um, Frank's doing a one shot of Sin City with Mila Manera, yes. um, which is pretty exciting. Um, and then Frank's also creating a new Sin City Western. The, the It's the origin of Basin City, which is... Uh, and you get a lot of familiar relatives of the characters awesome. in that show, so you that's got some right. things there. And and we do have a line of uh, of next year books that we're already starting to cultivate. Uh, but we want these books to land. We want these books to have an audience, and then we'll come out right. with the next material after that.
0: How many? How many issues is Asian Enemies? Six issues. Uh, Six. It
1: comes out bi monthly, so uh, that's the good part. So it, it's a, it's a slightly oversized book. It's a the first issue sixty four pages of story uh cool. every book after that will be 48 pages of story uh some of them have backups so there's characters that spin out they, if you see the big poster of all the characters right. there's a lot of characters in there that are moving in and out of the story um the way i tell it is the same way uh, darwin cook did new frontier it's really you're moving right. through time with all these characters and you change the focus on different ones so they're in the spotlight but it's the story itself it's constantly moving forward through so, the six so you,
0: you could say ancient enemies it's an universe on itself like yeah like and, multiple...
1: and that's it listen ronin's a universe unto itself pandora right. will be a universe unto itself um and uh and H&M is a universe i'm i'm hoping that with enough success to it that some of the characters we could do one shots of or, or break them out here or there but i want everybody to be in the main book at the start because i think that's that that weight will give it um, a lot more um a lot more support
0: all right so um let me ask you did uh how how does it feel to go, to be back doing comics
1: uh, you know what? It's 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 fun. I mean, it's it's the, I never would want to step back into the same type of role that I had uh, at nice. D.C. It's hard to do that. Um, but to do it in this fashion, working with Frank, uh, being hands on everything. I, I was laughing, you know, you know, I'm sitting there writing solicitation copy for the previews catalog, <laughs> taking a phone call, you know, to make sure that things are on the press. So you're really hands on in every aspect of the of the creation and the production of the book itself. Uh, which it's it's somewhat rewarding. Uh, it's it's exhausting, uh, <laughs> but uh, and I don't think I can keep it up for a long time. But at the start, though, it's it's a good way to start. It's good to to know every inch right. of how this is done, so that way, as you other people come in to help you, you can explain exactly. how what's the best and uh, the right way to do it.
0: And were, were you a big uh, Frank Miller fan like before working in comics?
1: Yeah, I was a Frank Miller fan. I mean, uh, you know what I. Towards the towards the mid to late '80s, my interest was starting to wane on some yeah. of these books okay. and titles. Um, I was a big fan of his uh, of his um, Daredevil run. Uh, I loved when he stepped in did Spider Man issues. I think his art on Spider Man was spot on. Yeah, um, uh, I'm always asking him to, to draw those things, but uh, <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but uh, you know what? I, I followed and then I followed him through his. But once he started to get more into the electro world and things like that. Right. My taste started to move into other areas as well.
0: Okay, okay. So um, you started reading comics when you were when you were very young, right?
1: About ten years old. So I've been reading comics now. I would say for over fifty years. Cool. That's
0: that's a bit longer than I have.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, I've been I've been doing this for a while too. I I, yeah.
1: I started very young too. Um, so yeah. Well, one it, thing I still have, I still have some of the books that I first bought. Actually, I still have a lot of the books that I first bought. I didn't. I never really got rid of the ones. <laughs> from my early days so I was telling somebody and I thought I thought it was small I said I've got 60 long boxes in the garage and I got 15 short boxes of magazines and everybody looks at me like it's a horror and I said wow (laughs) this is actually down (laughs) I I actually gave gave away 40 percent of my my collection and this is almost half of what it was so I thought I I I only had a little comics but it still sounds like I got a lot
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome um, so la- let me let me uh, go to this part of the of the show like we always do with our guests um, sure. I- I'll, try to, I'll try to make it brief um, okay. this, this, the name of this podcast is called Leon Comics which means read comics so like, yeah. like I'm telling people read your comics don't just collect them don't just right. buy them for the cover or the price enjoy the stories so I would like to I, ask you about what are like one to five stories that you think every reader or every new reader should, should read
1: Wow! Concerns? Wow! See, I'm a, see, I'm an old guy. Okay, so I'm going to go <laughs> to different places. All right. All right. That's um, good. Uh, you know what? First of all, I think the the single's greatest run of comics um, of all time, and the most creative period of comics, is a period within the early days of Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, from the introduction of the Inhumans uh, through the Galactus story and things of that nature, there's a period from like the 30s to the 50s. That's mm-hmm. just some of the most brilliant ideas I've ever seen in comics. Love that stuff. Um, I was a huge fan of, of Jim Starlin's work. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, if you look at his Captain Marvel um, and Warlock, uh, yeah. as a kid, you felt more mature reading those. Um, <laughs> and and it, wasn't, it wasn't that it was so mature that it was adult, but it, it was on this cusp that made me feel... Older as a kid when I read that. So I love that stuff as a teenager. That was really great. Um I I was a big fan of for DC of things like House of Secrets, House of Mysteries. Um when you when and it wasn't just the I love short stories, I love little horror stories, but also you had the artwork of people like Bernie Wrightson and Jim Aparo and Neil Adams and all these brilliant talents working on those comics. Um, and that they visually excited me because mm-hmm. they, they they presented these different types of worlds that were different from the pristine bright colors of the superhero world. So that's that's one that was out there for me as well. Um Boy, I'm, you got me, you got me struggling. <laughs> that's fine. You got, you gave me three. That's good. That's good. Yeah, and 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 I'll tell you, you know, anything with Spider-Man and Green Goblin was always on the top of my oh, list. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's great.
0: Awesome. I started reading in the 90s and um it I went back and I read and I read all of, most of those uh, classic stories and, yeah. uh, but but I there's like a a, a Spider-Man Green Goblin story in, in Spectacular Spider-Man from the early 90s that it's not famous but it, to me it feels like it was my first time reading him. Yeah. So, like, sometimes you get like this connection to these books that maybe nobody cares but you do. <laughs> that's something oh, yeah, that's very no, no. strange. Like
1: there's, there's so many weird comics that I love. You know, I loved Mike Grell's Warlord. I, this, I loved all the crazy corners. You, the, you know, Jonah Hex was another character that right. I, I just never had enough of. You know, for me, comics just wasn't about the costumes, it was about the storytelling and the characters yeah. that lived in those worlds. And I loved all the, the, the crazy. Weird corners of the DC universe uh, that always that always stood out to me, you know. And uh, yeah, I I, I, I call them writers and artists and things like that, but not 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 blindly. Just you know, just something that always uh, piqued my interest when they stepped on it. Right,
0: you you could tell from some of the books that you wrote for DC, like Metal Man and, and OMAC. Those are not like the most popular heroes right
1: yeah, but they're the, they're the most interesting to me and right, also right right the most have the most from metal men you know everybody asked me they used to ask me all the time what's your favorite dc character and i always had to be very diplomatic and anyone insult <laughs> anybody but now i can say the metal men were always my favorites uh, always my oh, always favorite cool.
0: and you got to uh, write them so awesome yeah
1: and uh, yeah it, it's interesting because you know i sort of knew my time was winding down uh, at dc okay. and uh i said if it's it." you have that bucket list, I guess you can say. And, <laughs> and, and Metal Man was my, bu- my, was my bucket list for DC Comics. So that was, I got a chance to do it. Even when I wrote it, I got a chance to put OMAC in it. I put Phantom Stranger yeah. in I put yeah. Sideways in it. All these characters that I had a lot of fun writing and, and creating over the years. And uh, it, it became this nice little package that I didn't even know I was making until it was finished. And then It it gave me, in some ways, that sense of closure when you're leaving and moving. I was able to close the door in a way that I felt comfortable for myself.
0: Right. You you did uh, everything that you wanted to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I looked at it someday. And it's funny. We talk about this all the time, um, which was some of the guys I used to work with. Pretty much in the the 20 plus, 20 years I'm at D.C., I pretty much touched every single character that ever existed in that company. We found a way <laughs> to use a show or a showcase or a cameo or anything. We used everybody. I mean, it, I think I was working with um, with uh, Gerard Way during the Young Animal books, and he was putting the really weird characters in there. And uh, <laughs> and we were talking Jason's Quest, which I don't know if you know what Jason's Quest did. It was a three-part story and Showcase in the 60s that nobody remembers. I don't, know what, remembers. I don't know what that is. Yeah, there you go. And needless to <laughs> say, we were gonna put that in there. So one of the last books I approved was Inferior Five. And I always said when you do inferior five, you're done. And it's pretty <laughs> true.
0: <laughs> so how does that work? Do you have there they have like an archive of like these are all the characters that we have?
1: Because there's a, there's a there was a running list, but I hate to say it, it that was I have I have an internal memory on these things. Um <laughs> So, so it, yeah. If you, if you, pretty much from the you know from the '60s up through um, early '90s, I had a I had a pretty good a handle on everything that DC had done. That's awesome.
0: So now let me ask you about um, about. And I'm gonna go like some maybe random questions here because I just want to like make sure, sure I ask you all the pre- the questions that I can. Yep. So like, how you were in charge of DC for for like almost 20 years? Yeah. And uh, how, how, as a fan, how did it, how was the experience of like never being surprised by a DC comic book again? Because you know all the stories. Did that? that...
1: (laughs) How did that? You got that wrong. Every time a book landed on my desk, I was surprised. Oh (laughs) yeah. You know, you go. What happens is you're you're involved in a project early on, and you're sitting there, and you have these conversations about the books. And, and people go off and work on them. And then ultimately the book lands on your desk. Okay. And let me tell you, more times than not, you're surprised about what the final product is, because there's so many people involved in the process and things evolve as you go that you might have in your mind what you think it's going to be. And then it comes back to you could be radically different. And part of the job was trying to understand and give that leeway to the creative, to the creative so they right. can take on its own sensibilities. Um, and if it's not what you thought it was, that's okay, as long as it accomplishes the same goal of what right. the story was supposed to be. And they don't change anything that might be impactful to other people or the characters for a long-term effect. So these are the things you're looking for. So if something went so far astray, my job was to pull it back online. But if it, was, if it was not what I thought it was, but still worked, it was to let it go and let it be its own project.
0: Okay, and that did that happen more often than not?
1: Every day. <laughs> really? That's awesome. Every day. That's awesome. You have, to, you have to, as I like to put to people, just for you to understand perspective. If you're running or overseeing a line, at the time I was executive DC, comics, um, we were doing somewhere between somewhere around seventy to seventy-five books on a monthly basis, which means you're working with somewhere between three to five hundred people every month. Wow. Okay, so the idea that you can manage it all and control it all is 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 a falsehood. You can't do it. What you can do is keep it in the best shape possible and keep it moving. That's the main thing, too. Um, So that's why when I say you're surprised. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's there's so much happening and you you have to make these split second decisions. It seems like split second decisions on letting something go or pulling it back or getting it redrawn or rewritten, um, because ultimately, you got this machine that's constantly chewing up books and paper and you <laughs> got to keep feeding the machine of them, exactly. the books you put out there. So you can't stop everything just because it's not what you want it to be. You have right. to make those decisions and constantly be able to let things keep moving. Okay,
0: that's good. Um, in that same time that where you were at, uh, this is kind of a related question that like you knew all the stories uh, going in. But, like, did you have time to like keep reading comics like from other publishers? Did you like, was it, or was it just like, oh, this is work? I don't want to do work when I'm on my free time. You know, it,
1: it, it's an interesting thing. Um, <laughs> you can't enjoy comics from other publishers. I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> you can't enjoy them, even if you do enjoy them. You can't enjoy them. First of all, you get upset about the fact that working with talent that you might want at your company, okay? Second is. They're telling better stories than you, and you get upset huh? your books aren't as good. <laughs> Third is that their books might sell better, even though your books are better, and you get angry because oh, they yeah. sell better, and your books are better, and you can't get those sales. So there's this constant frustration.
0: <laughs> <laughs> better not to do it.
1: And 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 honestly, I ha- I was on the comp, we had complice that we were sharing com- comics with a lot of companies. So I'd be bringing home 20, 30 books every week you know going through it for for whatever is going to go on there and, and the you know and and that's the hard part you know that's the hard part <laughs> is is uh is uh getting past just seeing the comic for what it is and not how it affects you in your position so uh,
0: it, is that a it was that like a like a very competitive thing be, you know besides the market more like in a ego kind of thing like uh, we want to be. Bit- the, the competition, or, our stories are better. Is that like a like a culture thing
1: between the companies? Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's 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 not a real thing, but it is a real thing. <laughs> meaning meaning that this this not really a, a competition between companies. I, you know, and I I'm, I'm not kidding when I say the competition was the film and TV for me because okay. if they did the stories better than we did, we were we were you know we become superfluous. Yes. But there is a pride issue, and and the whole idea of us versus Marvel, us DC versus Marvel, that was yeah. something that was really feeding the fans. They yeah, were exactly yeah. more than we were, <laughs> you
0: know. Oh yeah, that, you know, <laughs> there's like debates, endless debates about this, yeah, you know, online between the fans.
1: You know, so um, we, you know, and you want to fuel that fire because any conversation about comics is good conversation, in my mind. Exactly. Yeah,
0: and you know, when when you came into into DC Comics, I was. I, I mean i'm i'm 45 years old now so i've been doing this a while but i, I haven't constantly been doing it because it's it's expensive yeah. and life happens so um when you started i wasn't reading comics and i came back i'm not sure exactly when it was but it was like um before i um infinite crisis i, yeah. I, I got i got to read all the all the miniseries Rantanagar war and all my project and all that i, I that. think that that's what brought me back and one of the one of the things that uh, because I'm a DC fan, I've always been a big DC fan. I like all comics, but the, I'm a DC guy. Yeah. And one of the things that DC never had, that Marvel had, was like this editor in chief uh, figure, like somebody like like we have a someone that's in, in, taking charge. Yeah. And we never ha- we never had that, and uh, and when you came in and you took that role, it was like, and and then the book started getting really good. Um, it was something that we, decent fans, were like, finally. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah. No, no, go finish it. I'll go into because it. It, that was a, that was a period of time for me. I mean, I came in um, with that in mind. I came in watching Stanley and seeing that, yes. seeing that energy and seeing him fire up a crowd. And I realized the company needed a spokesman, but nobody really wanted to stand up and take that role. And and yeah. I, they wouldn't let me step into that role until. They were comfortable with my ability to speak properly in, in the multiple <laughs> right? You know, so it was it was a kind of interesting thing. But you know, for me, when I when I created the the back page uh, within uh, the comics for uh, DC Nation and all these things going on, mm-hmm. I really it it was really capturing all the things I loved about as a as a fan. You know, right. I, I loved when the you know the Stanley Soapbox or the Publisherial from Gene Kahn or yeah. the Meanwhile from Dick Giordano. All those things, you know, all the different fan magazines, Amazing World of DC Comics, boom, all these things that spoke directly to me from the company. Um, I was even one of those guys that used to dial the uh, DC hotline back in the <laughs> 70s. They had a DC hotline that you would call and you listen to this pre recorded message about <laughs> what books were coming out. That's um, cool. Anything that made me feel like I was part of something, I enjoyed it. And, and I, I love Peeling back that curtain and inviting the fans in to enjoy it with us because uh, I know how much it means to them. Because I was that person, you know. So I got to be, right. you know, I got to, you know, give to people what I wanted to get when I was a fan. It's it's funny
0: that uh, in in kind of a weird way is the same thing that happens with the with the movies right now. Marvel Marvel has Kevin Feige and there's like people like worship him and there's nobody at DC DC for the movies like this. There's no person that we can say, "Okay, he, he has our backs yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that it's a weird uh, connection. Um, yeah I mean, so,
1: for, yeah, for, yeah. For me my job was to get out there and clear the path so everybody else can work. take all be the lightning rod to all the arguments and all the fights, meet them head right. on so everybody else behind me could be doing the job without worrying about being dissected, so to speak, you know
0: yeah, but I, it's, I think it's it's necessary in, in that way for for the fans. Um, so, like, when you were uh, a, a, in that position, I, I believe Joe Quesada was the uh, yeah. Marvel EIC, yeah. a- a- um, and I I'm, I know that when he got that uh, that job, he like stopped all crossovers, and like th- we never got any more Marvel DC crossovers. Uh, was that ever like a conversation that happened? That maybe like was that even a thought that maybe no, hey, no, we- I, n- this I never could a those- lot.
1: I-, I never wanted to do those crossovers either. I, I was dead set against them. Um, right, really? Why? Oh yeah. um I think I think that's a sign of desperation, okay? Um, <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I'm gonna say that. It's a sign of desperation. That means you're out of ideas and you're 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 a, you're in such a weak position you have to rely on other companies to elevate your characters. I know I it's a lovely thing for fans to see, but the yes. reality is once you do it, where do you go from there? If I True. see Superman with Spider-Man, I see these crossovers happening, what happens next? Everything else seems downgraded. So my world, independent now, without Marvel's crossovers, seems weaker. And right. that's the last thing. You want that competitive? Now you get competitive. There's what <laughs> exactly, competitive yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah, what that's I was going with. Kicks in. I, I never wanted to give that appearance that I needed, or DC needed anybody else's characters except DC's characters, to be successful.
0: And um, you were right. They don't. <laughs> yeah, they but, don't. But, you know, the, the fans uh, eat up that that stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, I get it, but it's 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 hard, you know. It's I'm, I can say I can say this now. It, it's it's fans that are tired. That means they've seen so much and they've seen so much of the characters. They're bored, so they want to see other things that don't work for those characters, even if it degrades or brings their characters down. Um, right. So I think that's a shame, and that's one of the reasons why I, I was against a lot of these Elseworlds stories because a lot of people love Elseworlds, but I said, mm-hmm. but if you're putting all that creative energy. And you're making these worlds so interesting outside of the main DC universe. You're weakening the DC universe. Find ways to tell those interesting stories in the DC universe, and then we all can be successful with it and move it forward. Um, Right. You know. But every time you take the focus away from the main line, the main line suffers. And I think that's what happened to DC in the late '90s. You know. Right.
0: Right. Right. Because they were like overextended, in 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 a way. way. Was that was that a factor in like? the new Fifty Two or stuff like that, like main main, uh, like keeping all the the storylines tight.
1: Yeah, um, and we didn't like I said we didn't cross anything over. And the main thing about New Fifty Two was the market was really in a bad shape at the start of 2010 mm-hmm. into 2011, and um, we knew that uh, we had to do something drastic. Um, and ultimately, we wanted to test whether or not we can bring new people and new readers in. We felt everything was getting so twisted and. And when the logic was made to do New Fifty Two, um, it was a it was a massive decision. But it actually started with the story, the conversation about New Fifty Two started with um, how do we get Superman unmarried? That's how this started. And oh, it really? Just, it just escalated from there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. <laughs> Well, I, I got to tell you, it you did it. You guys did it better than Marvel did with Spider Man. Yeah, <laughs> no devil involved in no, no deals with the devil.
1: Yeah, it's you know what. What I really liked is I liked I lo- out of New Fifty Two. I really loved Grant's take on Superman. I thought it was a lot of yes. fun. The genes and the whole attitude, and the personality. Um, I thought he found a way to really make him true to who the character was, but somebody feeling fresh and new in the same time. So right. um, that, that was always a good sign for me of, of what we should be trying to do with the line, trying to find ways to not just dust it off or just make it feel fresh, actually come up with new ideas behind it so it really is fresh.
0: And, and I got to tell you, it, it worked perfectly because I, I was reading back then, but I know a lot of people that came in um for the new 52. Like that was like a fresh start. It, oh, it really oh yeah,
1: worked. oh yeah, I'm telling you right now, um, we're 10 years after New 52. I, I do conventions, I get more people coming to me saying that they were fans of New 52 yes. than the people who than the amount of people that came to me complaining about New 52 <laughs> ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> guess it's a win now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: ten years after. <laughs> okay, so uh, um I have so many questions now. Um let me ask you about this. Uh is there a book? that you like had to cancel that you were like,
1: damn, I don't want to cancel this book, but it, it doesn't have the numbers. Oh, there's a, there's a bunch like that. I mean, <laughs> there's something that actually I, I, I could give you the reverse. There were books that I kept going that didn't have the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, there was, you know, Jonah Hex was, was profitable, but not a big hit. I, I had to keep that book going. Cause I think the guys did a brilliant job on it. And I did not want to see that go away because cool. I needed a book That had a different flavor than the superhero line uh same thing when kyle baker was doing plastic man another book that should have been canceled a year earlier and we kept it going just because it was good um and that was one of the reasons why there but there's you know there's a lot of books that i would i would have loved to see continue on um (laughs) so is probably there's probably too many to mention you know but unfortunately a lot of times the books get canceled not just because of sales but also uh for creative uh you know for, for creative reasons too which okay. is okay. Which, you know when you could you start to feel a book going off the rails and uh you basically said it's 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 a it's a mercy killing at some point you know <laughs> <laughs> did,
0: did you find that any of this book that you like uh that you mentioned like you kept going because the uh the creative team was good um maybe they these book's get any new life in the um trade paperback market
1: sometimes but i you know what i mean did- to be perfectly honest, if a book sells as a periodical, it sells as a trade. Yeah, okay. For the most part, you rarely do you invert that. Um, a lot of people thought Vertigo did that, um, and, and it did a little bit. Um, Fables probably is the best example. 100 mm-hmm. Bullets, maybe. They had better life as trades than they did as periodicals. Uh, but for the most part, DCU-wise, if a book sold well as a comic, it sold well as a trade. If it didn't sell well as a comic... Not so, not so much on a trade. Okay, I w- I always wonder about that
0: because, uh, many. I mean, we're geeks, but like, I call them normies, normal people that dabble in comics. They mostly get their their comics from bookstores and like collected editions, right?
1: And- yeah, it's it's and also it's something that's really a lot of that. I think that's where the media comes in to help uh, more than ever. You know, and the the story we always tell is when the the Watchmen trailer ran at the end of Dark Knight movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was eight months until the Watchmen movie was was on the air. In those eight months, between in that time, we sold one million copies of Watchmen, which was wow. a book, which was a book that basically was twenty years old, and we sold a million copies because of the speculation and the interest and the questionings mm-hmm. about it. And a lot of times, if the source material is close to the way it's going to be portrayed on film, the source material sells really well before the film because people are like learning about what this movie about before it comes on. And right. they, they buy the book in advance, you know?
0: Cool. Cool. So um, let me just uh, change uh, a little bit. I want to talk, I can't have you here and not talk to you about my favorite uh, DC oh. superhero, which is Green Lantern. Okay. Um, I want, I, I, I gotta say the Green Lantern Rebirth, I think that's what brought me back to comics actually, when I was uh, talking before. Um, how did that come about? How did oh, the came, Rebirth storyline come about?
1: A couple, it came about a couple of ways. Um, It started with, you know, Jeff and I had early conversations. Uh, Jeff and I bonded over Flash when he was writing Flash. And he did the Ignition storyline. And we were trying to figure out other things. And he, he was bringing up Green Lantern. And I was talking about it, too. We both had the same sensibility. And my logic was and I say this all the time, even though Hal Jordan was dead, he was the one character that probably appeared more that he was dead than when he was alive. Right. Um, he, was in, he was in every flashback possible. He was in all these miniseries. He was, and I always joke, I said, and he was the Spectre, but he wore the Green Lantern suit and the mask.
0: Yes, exactly, and i like, yeah.
1: does he need to wear a mask when he's a ghost? Um, I don't understand this.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, it's true. <laughs>
1: you know, and, and basically what happened is that a lot of people gave up on Green Lantern Core and Green right. Game gave up on Green Lantern. And and when Jeff and I were speaking, we basically said, no, it's not, there's nothing wrong with those concepts. They were just being executed poorly. So mm-hmm. let's let's do it right this time. And Jeff came out with a long plan and it wasn't it wasn't an easy sell. It took four to six months of constant, you know, pushing because I'm executive editor, pushing the publisher to right. convince them to do this. Um, yeah polemics
0: was still there right
1: yeah exactly and, and 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 nobody believed we could get this done right and so there was a this was a big bet for me personally because um i had a little wind to my back identity crisis worked well um a couple of the books were starting to click and right. green lantern was the big one that we were going to show that we know what we're doing better than people were doing beforehand um so when we launched that book and it was as successful as it was um, it gave uh, gave us this huge path to try new ideas and things because we had success to lean back on and point to, saying, "We fixed this here. Now we're exactly. going to go after these other characters," and that got the ball really rolling in a big way. But but Jeff had had an incredibly long idea and long story, and he had he had a lot of that figured out way in advance, and he just methodically kept that story going and 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 made how they made made how the number 2 franchise while I was there right yeah. after Batman you know Green Lantern was the best selling line of books behind the Batman titles
0: yes uh, it was a very exciting time to be a Green Lantern fan i got to yeah. tell you um what about uh let me see what else do i have here uh okay this is this, there's a there was a some discussion online recently about um you know that you know the Black Adam movie is coming yeah and uh there was some discussion in, online about how relevant was black adam before the rock got involved in the movie and i, I and i gotta say because like he's been involved since like maybe 15 years or something and the movie yeah. has, was in hell <laughs> and and, yeah. and now it's finally coming out but i, I um 52 that's, that's when what, i first yeah, exactly. yeah that's when i first remember him getting like
1: notoriety right Oh yeah, that was that was I mean, he was one of the stars, one of the four stars of 52. I mean, he had one storyline that was moving through it, him and Isis and Orisis. There was there was a that was one of the one of the more violent aspects of yes. the 52 weekly series. But also it had a, a real life and sensibility that really played against the other stories that were happening at the same time. But I think that's when he really rose to prominence. He had he had some appearances in JSA, I think, before that, but but that that's a that's his that's that was a star turn for that character.
0: What was it uh because I, I I honestly I don't remember him much before this reading about reading comics with yeah. him. Uh was it like a conscious decision to take this like maybe a little unknown character and make him a badass?
1: Oh yeah. Well it was it's it's basically he's he's a, a cool version of Captain Marvel. I mean I'm sorry, Shazam. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oops, whoa, whoa, what am I saying? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it's it, – it's, it, <laughs> I, yeah, it's I, I still have the old names in my head. Nah, I,
0: I, it happens to me too.
1: Oh, boy. Uh, so anyway, yeah, but he's, he's, he had that edge to him. And I think because the Shazam character was struggling a little bit and they were playing him a little bit younger in, in that sense, um, I thought this was a great juxtaposition of what that power could be Given a more mature sensibility, and right. uh, I think I think they did a brilliant job. And it's it's interesting because if you think back um, at Miracle Man, uh, you know mm-hmm. the, the the books with Miracle Man right. and all that. I mean, Miracle Man took it completely over the top, yes, um, uh, in one direction. And I think this thing found a really good sweet spot, you know, to to work within mainstream comics.
0: Right, right, yeah, because it, it wasn't as dark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of speaking about darkness there's there's this um how do you say uh people when when people compare marvel and dc they usually like i don't know if, since when this is happening like recently maybe the last 10, 15 20 years maybe yep. that this is the dark one and marvel is more light-hearted yeah and uh you know that um when you started, uh, like you mentioned, you had like early success with Identity Crisis and um, Countdown to Infinite Crisis, and and some of these comics that had really dark moments. Yeah. Um, do you, do you think, like, did this start start that that uh, assumption that this is a dark company, or had, does it have more to do with maybe like the movies, like the Zack Snyder, uh, you know,
1: style? Uh, you know, I I, I think. D.C. went down a more, slightly more mature road back in the 80s. Oh, um, yeah. I think, this, I think this has been a trend from Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns. Um, and if you look at D.C.'s history, um, they had what was called the D.C. implosion in 1978, where so yes. many other books were going, and they collapsed this line down. They, they cut 40% of their comics, and they were and they were struggling. And it wasn't until they found that darker, slightly edgier voice, um, from a lot of the British talent coming in, but also some from the U.S. creators coming in too, that they started to re-identify, create this new identity. And DC always wanted to be more mature; they always did. Um, okay. You know, not just in the sense they they, they wanted to be more, uh, more, you know, they wanted to be much more in the book market sensibility than they did in the comic book market sensibility. Okay. And if you if you see them pushing that edginess to the line, um. You know, and you know the everything from the mid '80s with with Watchmen and Dark Knight up until the death of Superman, which right. is you know, I would say it's pretty dark if you kill Superman. Yeah, it well. is. Uh, wild. You, can you know, see that. and um and the effects of that, and then they sort of gotten the thing is that there was this rubber band spin to it, so you get this darkness and craziness at the same time. You have that wackiness in in. Um, JLI, but if you yeah. look back at the early JLIs, and I, Keith Kiffin and I talk about this all the time, um, and Keith gets very angry about this, by the way, gets very <laughs> angry, he goes, when I he goes, when I was doing Justice League International, it was not a comedy, people think okay. so, it's, it's all the jokes, the wah ha, yes. he goes, it wasn't that, there were light moments in there, he goes, but it, go ahead and read those early, first 20, 30 issues, it's a dark book, and yeah, he's right. I
0: know, yeah. He's right,
1: and, but because McGuire's art is very light, and yeah, you have a couple of funny moments, people remember the funny moments. But it's a dark story. There's a lot of dangerous stuff happening throughout that, and that's why that book is so successful. Yeah. Ultimately, though, you get out of the death of Superman, you get into the mid '90s, and everything starts to get a little goofier. If they, they, everything's, they're starting to play things for laughs, and they they're they're picking up on the wrong beats about okay. where these stories were going, and they they're not balancing them against the darker edges. So that way. By the time when I come in and we start to go back and bring gravitas back to the characters again, right. it's almost like this whiplash effect that mm-hmm. they had all this fun, light stuff, you know, <laughs> Young Justice and all these books of light, fun, and goofy, and all of a sudden, Wang, <laughs> we're, we're back in the real world again, so to speak. You know, so was,
0: that was a conscious decision on your part. Absolutely. Cool absolutely yeah because um,
1: the other stuff the other stuff wasn't selling <laughs> I hate to say it that way you know Be- true. Because, because nothing was landing it didn't have that weight to it that was landing with any sort of uh, you know any sort of real lasting effect you know yeah. I always joke with people but I'm serious um, I tell them could you Nightwing's my perfect example I said everybody <laughs> loves Nightwing I know that um, What's? I'm going to say I'll turn it to you you're a DC fan what's your favorite Nightwing story
0: Oh, that's a tough one. Uh I gotta say, I, I did love the first um his first re- series drawn by Scott McDaniel. Yeah, I, I think it was Chuck Dixon that wrote it. Yep. that introduced Bloodhaven and all that? I, I like that. This, okay. it's not like one of my favorite stories of all time, I gotta say.
1: Yeah, but he had a hundred and some twenty issues, hundred and thirty issues. Yeah,
0: like that. yeah.
1: And people struggle to figure out what that story is. And it's good kind that of those stories move through, but they didn't have a lasting effect. I could go and I could go through so many other characters and say this this is a defining moment. I need and I always used to say we look at the characters and say what's their defining story? What's the story that people remember about them? Can yeah. we build off that? You know, can we work from there? And ultimately that's what we did with Nightwing and all these characters. What's his big story? What's his big story? You know, and and find that thread that gets people excited and then take that thread and move it into a new direction.
0: Okay. So um, let me ask you about about this. Um, A lot of people, uh, how do you say, um, have the, uh, oh, what's the word? Okay. A lot of people are angry or not angry, but like they they have the complaint. That's the word I'm looking for. Complaint that DC over relies on Batman. Is that purely a sales thing or or, or why is that? There's like 20 Batman titles every week and like.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a more now question. I mean, we had a. We actually had a Batman cap. (laughs) You did? (laughs) Yes, I had a Batman cap. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) My Batman cap was that at no point would anything more than a third of the line be Batman related product. Okay. Okay. Because we didn't want to. Because here's my problem: if everybody wakes up one day and wasn't a Batman fan, and fifty percent, sixty percent of your line is about Batman, you lose half your company. Yeah. And everybody might go to me, oh, that's ridiculous. Well, guess what? That actually happened in the mid-60s. You know, in the mid-60s, uh-huh. the Batman TV show right, right, right. You know, was the peak of success. Every book had Batman on the cover. Every everything, even if it wasn't in it, they put Batman in Jerry Lewis comics. They put him in everywhere. <laughs> um, because he was selling and the, the show was a big deal. All of a sudden the show ends and there's Batman backlash. And everything right. that Batman was selling stopped selling. And the company was left scrambling when that happened because everything had this artificial lift off of Batman's mm-hmm. name. And as soon as the name was gone, it came crashing down and they and they fell into a valley. And that was the start of when Marvel started to get ready to overtake DC. right? You know, because DC was trying to rethink itself and Marvel was on the rise. Um, right. So my logic is you never want to put too much leg, weight on one leg of the chair. You got to make sure it's evenly distributed.
0: Cool, yeah, because that's happening right now. There's like way too too many Batman comics, and Batman fans, you know, they love him, but uh, we're missing on, on so many good uh, characters that would, they could have their, their own books. For, yeah. for example, my, my favorite character, you're never going to guess, it's uh, it's a Green Lantern, but it's not Hal Jordan. My favorite character is Guy Gardner. Oh, okay. I, I love I love uh, that character because he's not your typical hero, right? And um, he had a book in the 90s. It, it wasn't as great Yeah. But, but he, you know, they explored it. And I I would, I would, I would love to see more of that instead of another Batman family title.
1: Oh, listen, when we, when we did New 52, we went out of our way to make sure there was a lot of diversity in styles of stories. We had I Vampire, we had Men at War, we had Jonah Hex. You know, we had a lot of different books out there um, in order to really um, diversify the line. I, I I tell the same story I'll say to you. When it was when we when comics were in the in the uh, DC comics in the mid 70s, um, only 40 percent of the DC comic line was superheroes. Uh, the rest was romance and right. mystery and science fiction and westerns and war stories and comedy, everything else. But only 40 percent was superhero. It's it's not until you get into the direct market business that. The direct market, because it was fan based, only mm-hmm. wanted superhero comics and all the other comics went away just to feed the direct market, even if they sold less than the other style comics in the newsstand, um, because they can only produce so much. Right. So it was that one paradigm moment that got us out of all these other businesses and then ultimately just focused the the industry on superheroes for an extended period of time.
0: Right, right. Um, what's your take on like the current status of the comic book market there's been a resurgence in in like uh, comic book uh, collecting yeah Um, what do you think about all these variant covers and all of these multiple uh, number ones and legacy numbering and all that stuff
1: yeah I I was never a fan of it I'm not a fan of it even with Frank Miller Presents we'll only have one variant on every book and that's done by Frank Um, anything that takes people away from reading the interior of the book I have problems with um, yeah. anything that gives it an inflated value, I've seen that market collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not collapse as fast as it did in the past, because in the past we didn't have to be able to sell product online and be able to sell across the entire country only selling in a single store. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's going to keep it inflated for a while, but I think it takes the, it takes the money away from samplings, which some are great product that's out there right now that's worth reading. And, and that's, that's a little shame you
0: know do you do you think that all this like we are seeing now a lot of uh retailer ex- exclusive variants and that's that's like I, I i really don't i don't know i'm like 50/50 on that because there are some cool covers that you can collect because I,
1: I also like the collecting side right yeah yeah
0: um but i think it's 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 too much
1: yeah you know? I you know I, I i was never a huge fan of collecting multiple copies of the same book i just right. because i i want to read as much as possible um And I I had a problem with retailer variants because I got to a point where retailers basically were hiring friends to put on covers, you know. (laughs) Uh, And for me, if you're trying to maintain a quality of your line, um, you shouldn't compromise yourself too much, you know, just chasing some individual sales. And I, I said, you know, everything that happens is what we used to call a death by a thousand cuts. There's no one thing that's going to kill an industry, but there are yeah. a thousand little things that can do it, and I think that's one of the thousand. You know. Okay. Um,
0: do, is it is that something that generates a lot of money for the companies? It can, yes.
1: it can. I mean, you you, you got to remember, you were, you know, we're, it's still a corporation, and you're still chasing numbers. And yeah. You the bottom exactly, line yeah. Every quarter. Um, right, right, right. And if you can't sell the books, um, then you. you you can't sell the covers you're going to put all your energy in selling covers and take your energy out of making books um yeah and that's a mistake
0: okay i i know we're running out of time so i want i'm gonna ask you two two more questions okay and i'll try to be as quick as possible one i have to do this question because one of my uh um partners here in the channel he's in charge of all the anime stuff and manga yeah and i wanted to ask wh- what's your take on um what do you think about the market right now where Manga, it's we like huge. Yeah. I have two. I have two kids. They're teens. Yep. I have I have thousands of comics. They don't read them. They read mangas
1: uh, because it's more interesting. It's more. It's more exciting. It's more visual. It's more visceral. It's stuff happening. It's over the top. It's crazy. The more real <laughs> life we put into comics, the worse comics get. To tell right. you right now, there's no reason I'm going to want to sit here and watch a bunch of people sitting around a table talking about their problems when I can go sit around a table and listen to people talk about their problems. <laughs>
0: <in real life. laughs> That's I want so to get true. caught up in
1: adventure. I want to get caught up in world. That's what kids want to see. I, I, for me, I, I'm always taken aback about how many people who are, call themselves longtime fans forget about how they got into comics in the first place. Yes, and belittle people. Who are enjoying the things that they enjoyed when they were younger? They're taking mm-hmm. away their moment, um, and I, I think that's a shame. I think that's a shame, and I think the the I think you let and I think the kids speak for themselves. And and you know what? You, people are gonna complain all the time. They're gonna love what they love, and they're gonna hate what they hate, and they're gonna make sure you know it. True. The things yeah. you gotta watch out for are the people who don't talk up and just fade away and go somewhere else and that's right. what you're seeing and they're gravitating to manga. They're not standing online, they're not going and making these big pulpit announcements and doing YouTube videos <laughs> about how they're quitting comics to be the manga expert. Exactly. <laughs> they're just going because they want to enjoy them. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand what's happening in the market. And and I'm watching that really closely and a lot of things that we're trying to do with Frank Miller Presents is bring back that visual visual visceral nature of comics. We want them right. to be just entertaining. We're not here to tell anybody anything other than just to have fun with a story. Um, that's great. and And the Ronin stuff is, is pure eye candy. That's what it is. Every page is a double-page spread um, awesome. with panels on it. So it's big, landscaped artwork, beautifully laid out by Frank, drawn by Philip Tan and Daniel Anikis, and it's gorgeous, just gorgeous. And that's what comics should be. You say... People forgot about making comics visually interesting. They're 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 shrinking it, or making it too realistic. And the bottom mm-hmm. line is that there's nothing realistic about what we do, especially if you're telling a true yeah. comic story. Yeah. You know? Do you
0: do you think that um, there's a there's still like a chance to get all this? Because this generation, I think we already lost it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this... I think
1: so. Yeah. I think they've moved on. I think they're into what they want, and then they'll be the angry guys talking about what manga used to be twenty years ago. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's gonna happen. That's so true. Sure. Okay, uh, last question. I wanted to ask you about what do you feel about the uh, you know, there's this legacy aspect to DC heroes, like yes. um, you know, like all this like heroes with the same name. Yeah. Um, is that because like when you started uh when you were like in, in your in your time in DC, you, you uh, brought back a, a lot of classic versions of characters, namely like Hi Jordan yeah. and uh, Barry Allen. So. But then we saw like multiple uh, other uh, new iterations of characters, like for example, uh, Damien as Robin, right. he was like the fourth Robin. Right. So um,
1: what's oh, think, your... By the way, I think Damien is the best Robin. That's my best favorite Robin, by the way.
0: He is? Yeah. Okay. My favorite favorite's Tim, Tim Drake, because yeah. he's the one that I grew up with, I guess. Of course,
1: that's, that's, that's always the answer most people get, by the way. <laughs> one you grew up with
0: (laughs) yeah and but you know like when these things happen um some of your favorite characters take a backseat to the to the new one right right and and how how do you uh what was your take for that what did you prefer did you like this were you for this aspect of of changing mantles because i know that was part of the 5g uh initiative right
1: the the the, the 5g initiative was going to address this entire issue i mean the whole concept of 5g was that it was incorporating everybody on a single continuity character line from beginning, middle, and end. The biggest problem with DC, I tell over and over again, is that um, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman don't age, and the rest of the line does. And that's yes. why everything keeps on getting cluttered, because right. you know everybody ages up to Superman and Batman's age, and all of a sudden we got to find a way to reboot and push everybody down. But then we have this new version, and another version comes in. Yeah, um, you have
0: a 30-year-old uh, Dick Grayson and a 30-year-old
1: Batman. <laughs> exactly. And I, I my running joke was that I had to kill Dick Grayson before he was older than Batman. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: all makes sense. sense. It was Batman's yeah. idea,
1: not mine, I swear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, what about this, um, all this, ch- taking old characters and changing them, um, changing their sexualities, changing their race, all of that yeah, stuff?
1: I mean, it's... it's I'll go back to, I'll only say one thing. Tell me the story. Tell me there's a story there. Give me the long-term reason why you make that change. Give me a reason why this is going to be different than what we have in front of us right now. When you explain it to me in that fashion and you give me a different type of story and show what the potential of new version of the character is, I'm all Mm -hmm. for it. But if it's just going to duplicate what the other character did preceding it, there's no reason to do it.
0: Right. That makes sense. That's the
1: simplest way to approach this because ultimately you want to grow and change with time. And you're also dealing with characters that are 80 years old. So, you know, 80, 70, you know what I mean? So, you got to find ways to modernize them. And if it means a new version, a modern version should have a different point of view, a different perspective, a different sensibility in the sense that it was created for today rather than it was created, you know, 80 years ago. So, you've got to figure these things out. In, in coming up with those concepts and ideas, but if you can't justify the change, then there's no reason for the change. You know. All right. All right.
0: Well, then that's all I have the, for now. The, the, I mean, I have like twenty more questions, but we're out of time.
1: That's I okay. okay. That's good. We okay. so can always I do it to... again. You know. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, uh, I, I figured this is my third one. By the fourth one, I'll get this right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you've done great.
0: <laughs> uh, thank you so much for for spending some time with me. Um, where do people find uh, Frank Miller presents on the on social media and, and the, the books, when are they coming out when, when people can find them?
1: Well, right now we have, um, I think it's a, we have Frank Miller, we actually starting our website, I think it's frankmillerpresents.com awesome. um, and then also we're on Instagram uh, and, and Twitter and things like that, so we're out there right now out there in the world, uh, so you can find us out there, and we'll, we'll be putting out more material pretty soon um, in conjunction with these books and giving a good behind the scenes as we get ready to have our first books hit the stands in November. In November. And uh, will they be available um, digital? Not yet. Not, Not yet. We're going we're going. To just print only for the start.
0: Great. That's awesome. Well, I, I wish you all the best in, in your new project. I hope this is very successful. I, I did read this and I enjoyed it a lot. And I'm, I'm great. I'm glad I'm to hear that.
1: And that's, you said the keyword. You read it. That's all I'm looking for. I'm, you know, I, I was concerned about people getting caught up in the collectability of these. And I, that's not what it's about. The goal is yeah. to get them in people's hands, get people reading comics and talking about characters and story. That's all that matters. And once you're doing that, then I think we have a good way to uh, to move ahead and really get uh, and get things started here.
0: All right. Well, I wish you all the luck. Um, thank you so much for doing this. And I'm going to switch to Spanish now. Okay. Um, gente, saben que nosotros nos pueden seguir en todas las redes sociales como Cultura pr Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, eh, YouTube, en todos lados como Cultura Te Recuerda que puedes apoyarnos en Patreon y en nuestra página de merch, en merch.cultura Así que esto ha sido todo por hoy. Este, gracias, Dan. Thank you so much for doing no this. With you. Me. Thank you again. Chequemos a la próxima, gente. Okay.